I want to do a content warning before we get into today's episode. We will be talking about 2003's Monster, which part of the subject matter involves violence, murder, and also rape and sexual violence. So if that's not good with you today, just take a skip on this episode. Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. Yeah, today we are continuing our Lady Director series, and we are going with 2003's Monster. Based on the life of Eileen Warnos, a Daytona Beach sex worker who became a serial killer. So, like, why haven't you seen this, David? It is interesting. True crime has... I do have a love-hate relationship. I've been off it more recently after multiple people have discussed the ethics of true crime and digging into some of that stuff. I was like, oh, I need to, like take a big break from this before I see if I'm interested in coming back. True crime podcasts are super popular right now, as are the television shows and documentaries. However, those stories need to be held to a very high journalistic and just like ethical standard. When it's done really well, it's amazing. And when it's done really badly, it just feels icky. Warnos has always been one of these interesting figures in true crime. Mm -hmm. I've heard at least a few different versions of the story, Mm -hmm. but mainly just the highlights. And this movie Smack Dab came out when I really wasn't seeing a lot of rated R movies. Okay, I don't know that I was big on the Oscars in 03. And this was one of those hard R's that I would have had to go with a parent. And I was just like, I don't need to go see... A a murder movie. Oh, sweet baby David. (laughs) I don't remember seeing this in the theaters, but I I know I had seen it because, spoiler alert, Charlize Theron won an Oscar for it. So I was curious about that. So I was, this was more when I was in my, I like what I like with my movies and my giant collection of VHS. But after things had won awards, I wanted to go see what they won for. Yeah. So that was fun. I also feel like I didn't know anything about this movie until the awards happened. Well, and that was the other fascinating thing about this movie is it's a really small budget film. It's $4 million. It grows $64 million. So that's a huge return on their investment. Relatively unknown people. I mean, Charlize Theron had done a lot of work, but she was not a movie star yet. Yeah. And then to also do this, where she makes a physical transformation that is not playing to her natural strengths (laughs) um, aesthetically yeah so that's a little different a lot of people gave her a lot of praise for like oh you played this unconventional woman blah blah and now it's kind of like whatever you ate a bunch of donuts (laughs) at the time it was what a physical transformation and now looking back on that the question is okay but that doesn't merit an award. Like, was the acting up to par? And we'll get into that. I don't yeah. want to drop my feelings on that just yet. But I remember that being the point of contention and so, it becoming this running gag at the Oscars almost that if you did a physical transformation, a huge physical transformation, you were more likely to win. And the other part of this movie that was really fascinating to people is that it focused on a female serial killer which is also just outside of the norm. So just a little bit about Eileen Wuornos before we get into the movie itself. From the Wikipedia page, she was born February 29th, 1956. She was executed by lethal injection October 9th, 2002. That is stated in the movie. She was an American serial killer who murdered seven men in Florida between 89 and 90 by shooting them at point blank range. 
Wernus claimed that her victims had either raped or attempted to rape her while she was working as a sex worker, and that all of the homicides were committed in self-defense. Now, in depicted in this movie, it seems like the tipping point from this version of the story was that she was being assaulted, she was raped, she was in the process of someone attempting to murder her, and that was self-defense. The first murder we see depicted is self-defense. And then from there, we see what appears to be PTSD from that experience, and then something has clicked and that, oh, this is just an easy way to get money and a car, and I can just kill these dudes. In terms of talking about like first impressions from this movie, mm-hmm. I don't know the full story mm-hmm. on all sides. The trial, of course, happened way before she was I knew on anything. Our radar. I've also never seen the documentary, which I'm very interested in watching because people have said it's a very interesting, unique take. I, I definitely want to watch the documentary as just more interesting light on this story that they told. Yeah. To me, what this movie seems to accomplish is humanize her mm-hmm. without absolving her of her crimes. Correct. And I think they did that with the love story. Because they focused on her relationship with Selby. <laughs> I thought you didn't like girls. <laughs> I didn't like anyone, really. But I like you. The writer for this movie is Patty Jenkins. Before this movie, she had written Just Drive and Velocity Rules. And after this movie, she is writing Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> yes, if you didn't catch that, she is director Patty Jenkins of the amazing Wonder Woman. <laughs> she's also done some other shit. I'll get to it later. But she's a badass. And this was a total breakout. Mm-hmm. This came out of nowhere. I mean, still $4 million budget, so she got no money for this, basically. But this is a, this is a story that focused on an unlikable woman. An unlikable woman from social standards, I think. Yeah, and exactly. She was a sex worker and she was a murderer. So why would you focus a story on this person? And it's the same reason we get obsessed with all of the male serial killers. There's just more of them. There's just more of them, honestly. And so I really love that the focus of this film is humanizing her and giving us an understanding of why this could happen, this did happen, and the path that set her on this. We find out that she had been a victim of sexual abuse her whole life. She started doing sex work when she was a very young teenager. 13. When she was 13 years old, she got pregnant and she was immediately forced to put the baby up for adoption, which there's kind of a throwaway line in the movie of her talking about that to herself. So she always was looking for validation through sex. Her entire childhood led to that feeling. Yeah. In her case, it really is a tragic story. Yeah. And that that's meant in the full sense of that term. She was set up to fail from day one. And that doesn't absolve her of anything. No, it doesn't excuse what she did, but it does explain how it happened, how she got to that point. You know, I think I've said it before in one of these movie podcasts that there are very, very few people in this world who are born straight up evil, just pure evil evil. Nothing happened to them. There wasn't a a switch that was flipped. They've just always been that way. Very few. And so this is one of those those situations where you can see with the picture that Patty created for us, how, how we got from day one to her final day. 
not only seen the footage, but I think spurned by the the documentary I've I've always seen come up as Eileen Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah. And that is very much front and center a front row persona interview with her, with Warnos. Yeah. Which is only one side of the story. But I think Jenkins took that as a cue of, okay, what we actually have here is a woman's story that's way more complex and deep and deserves to be told Mm -hmm. to an audience that can really try to reckon with that. And what can we, if we want to talk about good ethics of true crime, Mm -hmm. what can this teach us about how we can make society better Mm -hmm. so that people aren't put in that situation? Yeah. Because that's the ultimate question, right? It's not that we want to say that she's she should be completely absolved of horrible, horrible acts. No. But we also shouldn't have a situation where people are set up for failure to fail immediately in life. And and I just want to be clear, we are not calling sex working as a failure. Absolutely not. Not at all in any way, shape or form. Sex work is real work. I'm more thinking about the abuse in her life. The abuse in her life. Her homelessness. Her homelessness. And then it becoming, well, I'm just going to murder people. I'm just going to murder them because that's working out easy for me. It's it's incredibly complex. And I don't want to pretend like we have it all figured out. No, no. But the, it asks a ton of questions that I think are important. True. Patty Jenkins got access to hundreds of letters that Eileen Warnes had written and received so that she got that insight into her life. Eileen Warnes was a notoriously uncooperative person notoriously you know she was caught around in 1990 and so for 12 years she was in prison so it's 12 years of those letters and back and forth stuff yeah for patty to pull from in order to tell the story i mean i'm very pro the story and the writing i am i'm pro the story and the writing and i think it it's clear from everyone in there that the story is such a solid ground base that you can spring everything else off of it and for such a low-budget movie, the story's got to be that much tighter. Mm-hmm. The story has to be on point in order for it to work with only $4 million in your budget. Yeah, it's not a lot of money for a movie. Directing, again, we've got Patty Jenkins. Before this, she had directed her two shorts, Just Drive and Velocity Rules. Then after this, she did a bunch of TV. She did Wonder Woman. She did a bunch of TV pilots, including the pilot for The Killing. Oh, uh, okay. And then she will be directing Wonder Woman 1984. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Wonder Woman was great. We loved that. So, A-plus lady. Yeah, she's a, she's an incredibly talented director. In terms of this movie, the budget reigns on screen. Mm-hmm. And before I started making judgments on it, I wanted to know that budget. Yeah. Because that answers a ton of questions on the stylistic choices in the film. Yeah. That being said... This movie has that thing that I hate, that mid-2000s look of that weird, grainy darkness mm-hmm. that works for the tone of the movie, but after a while just gets so drab and boring to look at. Mm-hmm. This movie's not supposed to be pretty. Well, here's where it should have been pretty, at Selby's house. Yeah. Selby's house should have felt like Selby's life was kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a little sad, but that compared to Eileen's life should have been like a freaking hotel. It should have felt magical. Like when we saw them together, at least in the beginning, it should have had some feeling, some essence of like fairy tale, like love, love bubbles. I mean, maybe, but I, I wonder, would you undercut the realism of what you're seeing in that moment if maybe. you did that? 
if you go too far with it, yeah, directorially, I felt like there should have been a little bit more of a change when she is with Selby than when it's just her. You know, she's working the road, she's in the car, she's doing the killings. And then as she gets more crazed and desperate, the time with Selby doesn't look any different. Part of that, too, is then it's hard to delineate how much time has passed in between different things. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know when we are at any point, which might be on purpose. Yeah. But I think the budget constraints led to decisions that, for the most part, worked. But then every once in a while... You just started going, why does this look this way? Or why did we let this scene play out this long? Mm-hmm. Why didn't we make some different cuts here? Yeah. And there's some shots that just like, you, if you'd have done it this way, it would look a lot better. It, it was little things throughout the movie, I think, that were the only criticism that I had. It was the details. And a lot of that just comes down to you don't have money and you got to get it done. Mm. So that's yeah. really my only complaint with it. Mm. All right, let's get on to our cast. All right. Of course, we start with, Charlize Theron as Eileen. Before this, she was in That Thing You Do. There's a lot more of her in the director's cut. She was in The Devil's Advocate, Mighty Joe Young, Cider House Rules, Reindeer Games, Sweet November, The Italian Job. After this, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, Head in the Clouds, Eon Flux, Arrested Development in the Valley of Elah, Hancock, The Road, Snow White and the Huntsman, A Million Ways to Die in the West, Mad Max Fury Road, Kubo and the Two Strings, Tully, and she will be in The Addams Family that's coming out. She's doing the voice of Morticia. And then she'll be in Fast and the Furious 9. She's a badass lady. I remember her being one of those actresses that you kept hearing her name over and over again in just random one-off movies. Especially around this time. Yep. Like and she then, just kept showing up and stuff. And then this becomes one of those little indie movies that could mm-hmm. and blows up. And after this, everybody knew her name. Yep. Nobody forgot who she was after this movie. Well, winning an Oscar helps. Winning an Oscar helps. Her performance is pretty fucking great. It's It really is that good. I mean, when she's desperate, I feel her desperation. Because I fucking killed someone. All right. Okay. My last John. All right. I fucking killed my last John. I was raped and beat to fuck and was going to get killed. But I would... I didn't want to lose you, and all I could think about was how for the rest of your fucking life you think I'd stood you up. And how you never know that I fucking meant to be there. And I didn't want to die thinking that maybe, maybe you could have loved me. And when she's in love, you feel it. Like, she's so hopeful. And having Selby to help, like, take care of just brought her so much joy. And then she was terrified to let her down. And, and you just, you see that, you feel it. Maybe my, my only quibble is that I don't feel enough uncertainty from her performance. She feels like every single time she's on screen, she's making a very specific choice for a very specific reason, mm-hmm. which is great. And that's important. But especially with this character, every once in a while, I want that to be muddier. Hmm. There's not always a lot of subtlety with how she attacks a scene because she's so intensely attacking but with a motivation. But I I think that makes sense for Eileen. Maybe. And it may just be that that's off-putting and different and it's not what we expect from people. Mm. But I think without a little more context, if you're just seeing it kind of play out, you go, 
wow, you're, you've got a very specific choice in every single one of these moments, but every once in a while, could we have a little more doubt or confusion as to where you're at? I don't know. She gained 30 pounds for her role in this film. Patty Jenkins said she knew Charlize would be perfect for the role when she saw a scene of hers from The Devil's Advocate. They did a close-up of her with her nose running, and she just knew that Theron would be fine with digging into Eileen. Yeah. This role, I will say this for Charlize, her going through the physical transformation, because she like she shaved her eyebrows, she gained all this weight, like she did not look great. This is not a pretty role. No. Because it became a talking point about, oh, this beautiful woman, this absolutely gorgeous woman was not afraid to get like gritty on screen. It did open the door. How many times was Margot Robbie talked about for Itania against Charlize Theron's monster? But the difference is, and, and the reason that she gets the Oscar for this mm-hmm. is not because of that. It's no. that she t- she absorbed mm-hmm. all of that transformation into an actual performance. Mm-hmm. And that's the key difference is, A, you don't necessarily need all of that to give a great performance. Mm-hmm. But visually, if you're going to do that, as an actor, you need to use that in how you actually perform the character. Mm-hmm. And she did. Yep. There is a who could have been better. Okay. Reese Witherspoon campaigned heavily for the role. This is tough because we've seen a lot out of Reese recently. Here's what I will say. This movie took place 16 years ago. 16 years ago, Reese Witherspoon could not have done this film. Reese Witherspoon now could. Yeah. That's really what it is. She has cut her teeth on more media. Like I, She has grown as an actress so much more since the time when she would have been campaigning for this. And from day one, that story that you tell of Jenkins, Charlize was a fully committed actor. Anytime she got a role, she was going to go into it no matter what. And that's not shitting on Reese. I love no, Reese no, no, no. But yeah, she would not have been right. So it's Charlize. It's a very specific kind of role. And yes. you found a very specific person to take that on. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Christina Ricci as Selby. Before this, she was in Mermaids, The Hard Way, The Addams Family, Casper, Now and Then, The Ice Storm, The Opposite of Sex, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Pecker, Sleepy Hollow, Prozac Nation, she was on a couple episodes of Ally McBeal. After this, she was in Grey's Anatomy. She was in Penelope, Black Snake Moan, Home of the Brave, Speed Racer, Pan Am, the TV show, The Lizzie Borden Chronicles. And then she's got a bunch of stuff coming up. Christina Ricci's been around forever. A uh, staple of our childhood. She was. Casper, man. The Adams family. I know. Yeah, I mean, she's just, she's been around my whole life, basically. Now and then. Oh. Now and then. It's great. It's a great movie. Selby is based on Tyra Moore, or Tyria, T-Y-R-I-A, I'm not sure, Eileen's real-life girlfriend at the time of the murders. Mm. It's a little, I don't know. I don't know if I, I mean, first of all, Selby doesn't necessarily come off great. No, she's a sad lesbian. It's just the way she's played is so sad and a little pathetic and needy. See, I'm kind of okay with that. I think that is what comes through in the writing. I think the writing of that character feels a little tropey. What Ricci manages to do is take those and give it a tiny bit of subtlety mm-hmm. that we're still like, I don't really know about this, but she grounds it enough and smooths out those rough edges to where she's enough of a believable character. Oh, yeah, no, I get it. So I... I think that's a credit to her for doing that. Mm -hmm. 
where she really sells it is her phone call at the end. Oh, it's a beautiful scene. Yeah, because when it starts out, when I remember when I first watched it, you don't realize that, that, oh, this is a, this is a phone call trying to get Eileen to confess to something. And it's, there's a very specific moment where, like, she just starts repeating herself and you're like, oh, and then that's when the camera starts to move and you can see the other, the, the FBI or police guys. I think also it's uh, the moment for me where it really turned was that she she starts to feel almost intentionally cruel. Mm-hmm. Like you're like you're being really cold, and that was when I went, oh, they're list- they're tracing this call, they're yeah. recording they're it recording to get the it. testimony. Yeah, and it's so beautiful in that scene because they are both talking in code to each other of Selby saying, "I have to live my life now, and I need you to do this for me, and I hate having to do this to you." No, it's not even that. She starts the call, and then Eileen asks her a question that Selby lies about. Yeah. And that's when Eileen knows what's going on. Yep. That Eileen depicted in this film still has those feelings for her and is like, okay, you know, like, I'm already in jail. And you can see all that and that pain. But it's like, at least I can do this for her. I can let her walk away. Yep. So that I do love. And that from a storytelling perspective, whether or not that's really how it happened, I don't care. For the movie, it works really well. Oh, yeah. Especially with the actresses we have. They're fabulous. They knocked those scenes out of the park. I have one who could have been better. Okay. Kate Hudson was offered the role of Selby, but she turned it down. Richie's so much better at being wide-eyed ingenue. I agree. And this dark tale. Kate Hudson doesn't have that same vibe. You have still not seen Almost Famous, so you're going to be quiet about her abilities. <laughs> Let me be very clear. I am not saying Kate Hudson is bad. I am saying that in terms of what I've seen of her, mm-hmm. I don't think she's right for this role. She could have done well, but I like Ricci against Charlize. Her. Yeah. Then we have a bunch of people who've been in this movie for like two seconds, so I'm not going to talk about them. Fair. But I do have two Arpons that I just I need, feel like we need to talk about for just like two seconds. We have Bruce Dern as Thomas. He's the dude who's in charge of the storage unit, and he's the one who's trying to look out for her, and he's the one who's trying to get her so she doesn't get arrested, because he knows it's going to happen. He is to the bitter end trying to help her out. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. Love Bruce Dern. He's great. He's genius actor. And next, we have Scott Wilson as Horton. Another genius actor. You might know Scott Wilson as Herschel on The Walking Dead. Yeah. Best part of that fucking show oh, yeah. before we we canceled <laughs> also just a legendary character actor he actually turned down the role of horton several times because he thought in order to play the part correctly he'd have to go to a place emotionally that he was not prepared to go as an actor and he looks like it in that he's scene he's amazing in that scene that scene is so gut-wrenching that- for both of them look i've got the keys in the car. There's my wallet. Just, just. No, ma'am. Turn around. No, ma'am. No. No. Get down. You don't have to do this. Get down. You don't. You really don't. That, and then he does all those things that you hear them, like, people tell you when you're in a situation where someone might try to murder you is, like, talk about your family, talk about your life, try to plead that that emotional side of it, and that's what he does. He legitimately is, like, 
he's very earnest and like, I got a place that you might be able to stay at. And he just wants to help. He he's he is sympathetic to the story that she's been given him. And it's so perfect because then she plays off of it in being like, I don't I don't want to do this, but I have to kill you. I have to kill you because otherwise I'm gone. Well, and the other part of it is that she has never been given any genuine kindness. So that's why, like, any sign of kindness or, like, genuine love, she does not know how to handle it because it's always been suspicious and it's always been wrong or wildly inappropriate. It is a horrible moral dilemma that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And it's it's perfectly played by both. Ugh. I'm so glad they got him for that role. Like, I bitch about Oscar nominations for super tiny roles. Like, you were in the movie for five minutes. I would have given him a nomination for that. I I think it's five minutes, but it's so impactful. It's supporting actor worthy. Yes. For sure. Agreed. All right. Trivia. Trivia. There's a good chunk of this that has to do with Eileen as a person. She actually did use a storage facility to kind of keep all her stuff in. She actually kind of lived there a little bit, too. That's where she actually kept some of the belongings from her victims, and then she would sell them at the pawn shop. That is actually what led to her being arrested. She left a thumbprint on one of the items, and that's how they found her. There's one point where she's shown a picture of two kids saying that, you know, she needs to get cash to get to them. That was a real method that she would use to get Johns into paying for sexual favors. They were her adoptive sister's children, and she would claim them as her own Wernos's grandparents legally adopted her as an infant after her biological mother abandoned her. Mm. So yeah, just horrible, horrible life. The whole story is just awful. It's just sad. It just is. There's no, there's no good in the story at all. Mm-hmm. Patty Jenkins wrote the screenplay in seven weeks, and production was set up in two months. Indie movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. The movie was shot in 28 days, with as many as four scenes or nine pages of the script shot in one day. Honestly, good. Because as emotionally gut-wrenching as this is, I would, as an actor, if I had to deal with that, rather get it done Uh as fast as humanly possible, even if it meant I had to work late. Yeah. (laughs) Like, just so I could get through it. Mm -hmm. So I can appreciate that they sped that up to just be like, we got to get the story done so we don't hurt our actors. Steve Perry, the former lead singer of the band Journey, was the music consultant for this film. Cool. Fuck. And its permutations is spoken 189 times. You know, I would say that's impressive, but I've heard way more terms of that. Well, here's the other thing. Is it, it, there's no point where it felt excessive. Nope. Didn't feel it. So that's good. The biker bar scenes were filmed at the last resort, a bar frequented by the real life Eileen Wernus and the place where she was arrested. The owner, who capitalized on her infamy, hung a sign in the front advertising cool beer and killer women. And he has a cameo as a bartender who threatens to cut off Warno's for being over her tab limit. I roll. I roll, but like, all right, that makes sense. I do like that they filmed it in the place where she was arrested. That is cool. I like that. A Beverly Hills pawn shop sold the gun that Charlize Theron used in this movie for $4,500. I can believe it. Right. And that's all the trivia I have. We should talk about the Oscars because that's what we do here. She won the Academy Award for playing Eileen Warnos. I am curious to remember who she was up against. Okay, but random fun fact, though. Charlize won on February 29th, 2004, which is Eileen's birthday. Weird, but cool at the same time. Her nomination was 
the only one this film received. It got nothing else. I honestly I, understand it. I, I do. I it's do an too. indie production that is good, but not great. And nobody else in the movie is like stellar in what they're doing. No. She was up against Naomi Watts for 21 Grams. Okay. Samantha Morton for In America. Diane Keaton for Something's Gotta Give. I guess Meryl Streep wasn't available this year. <laughs> no shade to either of those women. They're amazing. Shut up, everybody. And Keisha Castle-Hughes as Whale Rider. Oh, I remember that, too. Yeah. That was a big deal. Yep. <sighs> I mean, I haven't seen any of those other movies. I've seen Something's Gotta Give, and it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just one of those stupid old people in white clothes movies. It's just it's all it is. I just, I know that she did some great movies, but I've never been a Nora Ephron fan. I just haven't. I can't point to a single movie and be like, that's the movie I like by Nora Ephron. But like, I know I like her stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's just not for me. I don't know. I mean, without, without seeing some of the other ones, I couldn't really say, but this is a very, very credible performance mm -hmm. from... At the time, simply an up-and-coming star. Yeah. Like I said, the, the thing that sets it apart for me is it wasn't just the physical transformation. Mm -hmm. It's that you took every inch of that and used it in your portrayal. Yeah, it wasn't just a transformation for the sake of looking like the person. Yeah. Like, if we didn't have all that, it would probably be a little distracting because Charlize is a qu quite a beautiful lady. So that helps visually as exactly. an audience member. But like that doesn't overshadow the actual acting. Involved. You still have to act the part. Ratings. Ratings. What's our rating system today? Hmm. I mean, there's a pretty obvious one, which is the big giant handgun. No. How many, how many stolen cars? No. How many trips around the roller rink? Oh, that's sweet I and I want, depressing. I want, I want sweet. I want to go with sweet. It's my movie. I go first. Okay. I'm gonna go with a three point. Five. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really good movie. It's a very interesting story. I think it was done competently. It's not perfect. That's what I got. I got 3.5. I'm going back and forth, but I think I'm going to agree with you with 3.5. I hate it when we get the same writings. Well, what doesn't, what doesn't get it to a four for me, uh -huh. the little details aren't always picked up quite right. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, you're left kind of going, I really, really enjoyed this. I loved what they did with what they had. I kind of wish they could have done a little more. That's fair. I think that's the one thing you're drawing back from that. And the knowledge that this movie is held up by one performance. It's a really good performance. But if we had great performances around it, mm -hmm. it would be even better. True. So I think 3.5 is perfectly accurate. It's really good, just not quite great. All right, so what's up next? Well, <laughs> we are... We are hard left-turning again into very light-hearted family drama affair. We're doing The Kids Are All Right from 2010. All right, yeah. Another indie film that could. Never saw it. Nope, didn't see that one. This one's new for both of us this time around. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Mm -hmm.